and all the other scientists, or we could name a lot of them. Now there's also David Bohm. They all emphasize the importance of intuition. And it comes, where does it come from, you know? Mm -hmm. I've had to say that, yes, it comes not from the surface dimension, which is how things appear. Mm -hmm. It comes from this deeper dimension, where all the information is already stored. It's all there. It's implicated. It's folded in, as Bohm would say, you know. But whatever it is, it's really, it's given already. Everything, all the laws of the, of the universe, the way it evolves, are given in that deeper dimension. They are Akashic laws. They are mm -hmm. laws of the Akashic field. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, wonderful to be with you all again. Well, I'm so honoured, really, to introduce you to, to have Dr. Irvin Laszlo on the show with me today. Welcome, Dr. Laszlo. Yeah, so nice to be with you on the show. Thank you. He's one of, and we're very honoured at the Higher Self Expo. He's one of our speakers at the Higher Self Expo, where we'll be speaking about where science meets spirituality. And Dr. Laszlo is well versed in this topic, let me tell you, with a lifetime of accolades. Your life is extensive. I, I, I really don't know where to start with you, but I'm going to start by reading out a bit of your bio. Oh, it's okay, but you do my bio, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to read all of it, just some of it. I've just taken out just bits of it. Two, two verses enough. Okay. Your, your speaking topic at the High Self Expo is the Akashic Field, which I'll ask you about but an author and co-author and editor of over 101 books that have appeared in around 24 languages. Dr. Irvin Laszlo is the founder director of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, Italy. He has written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines and has had an extensive career winning many awards and prizes for his work throughout his life. Dr. Laszlo spent his childhood in Budapest, Hungary, and was a celebrated musical child prodigy excelling in piano, doing public appearances from the age of nine. He received a grand prize at the International Music Competition in Geneva, which allowed him to leave Hungary and begin an international concert career, first in Europe and then in America. We were just chatting before I turned on the recording and I asked him if he'd been down to Australia, and you haven't been down to Australia yet. So, um, but but I'm looking forward to coming. One day, one day. Shifting yes. to the life of a scientist and humanist, Dr. Laszlo received the Saul Burns' highest degree. In the late 70s and early 90s, Dr. Laszlo ran global projects at the United Nations Institute for Training and Research at the request of the of the Secretary General. In the 90s, his research led him to discover the Akashic field. 
Dr. Lasso has been awarded many prizes, as I said before, and nominated for uh, many peace prizes, including the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004 and 2005. In 2019, he was cited as one of 100 most spiritually influential living people in the world, according to the Watkins Mind Body Spirit magazine. And he's a member of numerous scientific bodies, elected member of the Hungary Academy of Science in 2010. In 2020, he was cited amongst the world's most inspiring people on a list in another magazine. A native to Budapest and the US citizen, he lives with Tarita. Is that how you say it again? His yes. Finnish-born yes. wife in Tuscany in Italy. And you can read more about Dr. Laszlo's accolades. Yeah, I really didn't go into all the awards. They were listed in the bio, but I didn't go into it. At the laszloinstitute.com or at irvinlaszlobooks.com. Wow. What, how long, when did you move from Hungary? How old were you when you moved from Hungary and started traveling the world? 15. You were 15? 15 years old, yes. Did you move? Uh, did you do that by yourself? It was after, no, my, my mother came with me. My father came after that, but it was already the Iron Curtain, you know, between East and West. Hungary was at the beginning, at that point, just under coming under communist rule. Mm -hmm. So he, he couldn't come right away. My mother could come because I was named as a part of the Hungarian team to an international music competition in Geneva. When I got a grand prize there, then I could go on. And because I was a minor, being 15 years old, I was allowed to have my mother accompany me. Then I got to America eventually, and then I stayed in America, then came back to Europe. It was a, it was a varied kind of a, a life. Incredible, incredible. And how old were you when you started to stop thinking about music and start thinking about science? What was happening? I mean, it, it, it came parallel. I was, I was a heavy heritage, family heritage, you might say, because my mother was a, 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 a piano teacher. She wanted to be a concert, a concert pianist herself. And she was an excellent piano teacher. And my uncle was a philosopher. And so the, I got both music lessons in the morning, practicing with my mother and having long walks in the park with my uncle who talked to me about his ideas. So I, I grew up with both, but first the music side won out. And then when I, my, in my mid-twenties, when I was married, got married and I had a child and I began to think more seriously, what should I do about life? What is my life like? What is my purpose? Then I turned back to these philosophical questions that my uncle was talking about. And then I decided to devote myself to, to philosophy. I started writing books. It was another long, long story. But in fact, uh, in my mid twenties, then I switched over from music as a profession into being an academic, a professor of philosophy. In, uh, in, the in the United States first, in Yale, and then Princeton, then the New York University, and his guest professorships at Houston, and, and in Chicago. So anyway, that's, that's for the second part of my uh, life career, the, the academic part. And you're, you're not slowing down, you're 90 next year, right? You're turning 90 next year? Yes. And yes. you're not slowing down because you've, you're doing the Higher Self Expo and I was seeing you speak with Deepak Chopra on his 
you know, at the beginning of the year, you, you two were having a conversation on his show and you've been doing many other shows. So you're not slowing down at all. <laughs> when did you? Well, I, just, I just finished yesterday a new book, <laughs> a small book about 100 pages. But I'm very, very pleased with that. And, and it should be published in a couple of weeks now. You come on the, on the, on the internet, so I was on the other side, which is called Upshift Meeting the Challenge where I'm discussing, you know, what the next step could be, how to, how to reconstruct ourselves to a better world of getting past the, the, the pandemic and the crisis of employment and, and, and climate change and all that. Mm. So, of course, I'm having that. And plus, I have two other books coming out at the same time called, called The Wisdom Principles, published in September. And the other one is is actually a little, little autobiography called My Journey. Oh, fabulous. I love autobiographies. I love people's stories. When was it that you started to think about how you could greatly affect this world rather than just think about philosophy? Because I think we can get lost in thought and then we look out into the world and we think, wow, stuff needs to change. How can I be an agent of change? Well, that was my, what I call my last reincarnation or re-reincarnation because first as a, mus as a musician, I say this in this little autobiography. In my musician, I had a, a first inc incarnation was as a concert pianist. Then I shifted over and moved my focus of attention and moved my, all my aspiration and daily work into philosophy and philosophy of science and philosophy of society. And then this was in my, in, in my late 20s and 30s. Then in, in, in the 1970s, uh, in my late 40s, I have uh, got an invitation to go to Princeton to give some seminars on the application of my theories, systems theories, to the international system, to the international order or disorder. And I accepted that. And that led me eventually to the Club of Rome and to the United Nations. And that became then another focus of my, of my life, my re reincarnation as it were, which I call the activist phase. I try to write now and, and, and focus my ideas in such a way that it will make difference, a difference to people's lives and perhaps also to our common future. Because we, we, need, to, we need guidance, we need, and the guidance comes not from outside, it comes from inside us. I try to provide whatever comes to me, which I believe is also coming to me in some form being suggested to me from some other higher level, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I try to phrase that, I try to put that out, and that's, those are the publications and the lectures that I'm doing these days, mm. including the, the, the expo that we'll be doing here. Mm. Yes, and in the 90s, you, it says here that you discovered, uh, you, your research led you to discover the Akashic field. What was happening during that time, and what do you call the Akashic field? What is it exactly? Well, I always said it's an intuition. Mm -hmm. The world as we perceive, you know, with our senses, the everyday world. 
that there is something deeper than that. There is, that is some source, some origin that is deeper. And then when I started reading up in philosophy, of course, you have all the Greek, great Hellenic philosophers talk about this Platonic realm of the forms and ideas. And uh, the one that Plotinus said, talked about. And then of course, science in the 20, late 20th century started talking about the, the unified field, a, 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 a rock bottom as it were, a, a basis out of which things emerge and come. And this parallels the insights of great, in, great Indian yogis like Vivekananda, who talked about the Akasha as the basis of the other dimensions of air, water, uh, and, and, and fire, and, and earth. And, but the Akasha is primary. It's, it's, the, it's the ground for all of those things, a deeper dimension. So I saw it first in, 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 in philosophical tradition, then in spirituality, and then in science, especially now in quantum science, you find that they talk about the, the unified quantum field, which is the universe as it, in its original form, and the actual, actual universe is emerging out of that. This deeper realm is what the quantum physicist David, David Bohm called the implicate order, Whereas we live and perceive the explicate order, but the deeper order is there behind, below it all. So I was aware of the fact that two and a half, three thousand years, ago, three and a half thousand years ago, the Hindu seers talked about the Akasha as the deep dimension. So I said, yes, this deep dimension, to make it popular, to make it known to people and understand easily, let's call it the Akashic field because it comes, it's the dimension of the Akasha. And to us, it comes, everything that comes to us from the universe, it comes as a form of a field. All things are connected to one another as in a field, you know. And so all our experiences actually constitute a field. Then I started talking about the Akashic field as the, uni as the grand unified field, which physicists talked about, or grand unified theories, you see, they talked about. And then this spot on, people uh, appreciated this idea, wanted to know more about it. So I wrote a book in, in 2004, a new edition again in 2007, and I wrote some articles. And now last year, my publisher wanted me to, to address this because there were so many inquiries coming in from people about, uh, about my latest concept, what, what do I think of the Akashic field? So I then wrote a little book again, which was now published a few months ago, as the Im Im uh, immutable laws of the Akashic field. So is the word Akasha an, an Indian word, the Akashic? Yes. And what does it mean exactly, Unif unification? Does it mean unified? No, Akasha is the deep dimension, is the it's, fifth dimension. It's the fifth the dimension. fourth dimension in which you live the air, water, earth, fire. But the deep dimension, which is the origin of all of these things, is the Akasha dimension. It's called the Akasha. Uh -huh. you know? So um, I, then I, uh, to me, all, the, all of these things that are the most important fertile concept in science is the concept of field. Mm. Einstein also discovered that and said that already decades, decades and decades ago everything is, can be conceived as a field. So if you talk about the Akasha as a dimension, for us, 
it manifests itself as a field, as a deep original field. It's the source, the source behind it all. Yeah. Because, you know, in the, in the spiritual New Age community, people channel the Akashic Records, you know, it's called the Akashic yeah. Records, which is like the library of knowledge of the lives that you've led in different, in different you know, time and space. So it's the same, it's the same thing, it's the same. Well, I say, you know, in, my, in this little book on the immutable laws of the Akashic field, I see that there are three paramount important laws of this Akashic field. And one of them is connection. Everything is connected directly through this field. So everything, everything impacts on everything else, whatever I do, impacts not only on you, but on the rest of the world, practically. Mm -hmm. The second law is memory. Everything remains, nothing vanishes completely. And that talks about the Akashic Records, because Akashic Records means that whatever happened to you, whatever lives you have read, whatever experiences you have had, altogether whatever happened in the world is someplace recorded, as recorded in this unified field, which we call the Akashic Field. And the third one is an evolution, is an evolutionary trend, which is in this field from the Big Bang, you know, 13.8 billion years ago to up to today and moving on as the universe evolves further and further, creating more and more coherent structures, planets, planetary systems, stellar systems, constellations, galaxies, the metal galaxy. So this, these are the basic characteristics of the Akashic field. And then in my new book, I describe each one of these in, in more detail. What's the name of your new book? The Immutable Laws of the Akashic Field. The Immutable Laws of the Akashic Field. It's, it's available now and on through the internet by Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and all of the other booksellers. So you know that you're being inspired from another part of you, another dimension in the in the in within the field. When did you become aware of that? Because I know most scientists are um, thinking that all the inspiration they get comes from them actually logically working out stuff. When did you? No, but not, not all scientists, you know. Einstein said Maybe. that intuition intuition is more important than logic. You yeah. See? Uh -huh. And I think great scientists such as Jung and Schrodinger and uh, you know Pauli and all the other scientists, or we could name a lot of them. Nowadays also David Bohm, they all emphasize the importance of intuition. And it comes, where does it come from? You know, mm -hmm. I try to say that yes, it comes not from the surface dimension, which is how things appear. It comes from this deeper dimension where all the information is already stored. It's all there. It's implicated. It's folded in, as Bohm would say, you know. But whatever it is, it's really, it's given already. Everything, all the laws of the, of the universe, the way it evolves, are given in that deeper dimension. They are Akashic laws. They are mm -hmm. laws of the Akashic field. And, and do you think that modern scientists today are on board with this? Um, across the board, or, or do you think it's just a handful of people that have come to this conclusion? Because I know people that channel and are in the spiritual community are totally up for this, but then there's the scientific community that don't kind of want to talk too much about being inspired by your intuition. Do you think that that's changing? 
Well, there is, we can call about, talk about old paradigm and new paradigm. Uh -huh. There's a traditional paradigm, which is positivist, you know, in terms of philosophy, or, or is based on Newton's laws, but it, it's kind of says that nothing else exists but matter moving around in passive space and in different time, and according to mechanical eternal laws. And that's the old paradigm where according to nothing else exists. You don't know where to put consciousness. Mind is not locatable. You can't put inside the, the, the old paradigm view of the world. So I'm, I'm, what I'm doing, I have been doing in my books, also my latest book now, I describe the old paradigm and the new paradigm. Mm -hmm. see how we can shift over. I also founded this institute, research institute, where there are researchers actively working on different aspects of the new paradigm. Because this new paradigm is what is coming forth from quantum physics, the quantum cosmology, the quantum biology. And eventually, I'm working in sort of quantum consciousness research as well. So it's a whole new ball game, as it were. It's a whole new story. You know, it is a new ball game, but at the same time, quantum theory was being discussed within the scientific community 70 odd years ago or even 100 years ago. And yet, we're only just kind of getting up with the program now, like in 2021. Why do you think it's taken so long for it to well, really- We didn't have the experimental basis. We didn't have the observations mm -hmm. that the new instruments had. Non-locality, you know, it emerged already in the 1970s, where it was in the 1980s, and it could be tested really, that things are connected instantly across space and time. And the whole cosmological notions of, of quantum physics as they emerged in the Copenhagen interpretation of Niels Bohr, but then also in, in, other, in other fields developed in Russia and the United States. So quantum physics came into its own on the basis of physical experiments starting in the 1970s, 1980s. And now that we, we, we can use the new information technologies for computation, you can beginning to see what, how this whole universe is a, a strongly interconnected system, a quantum system, how all parts are, are influencing all other parts. And whereas we know it intuitively, and of course, in some sense, we also known about this. There was the holding, the idea of holism that provided, that uh, pioneered by Jan Smuts, the South African statesman, you see, who wrote this beautiful book in the beginning of the 19th century, uh, or late 19th century, actually, uh, about uh, holism in, in the world. But it, as you say, it was there, the ideas were there, but they didn't catch on until a few decades ago, the more and more. And yeah. I think now the new paradigm in physics is becoming the new paradigm of science altogether. It's yeah. not a Newtonian paradigm. It's very, very different from the, what you can call the classical paradigm. Mm -hmm. It's exciting where we can go once we really establish this as our main, as our sort of collective truth because um, I think it's still fringe, even though it's widely researched and widely talked about, it's not widely held as, as reality in the minds of the collective. Well, you know, 
I've just finished a, a chapter in, in this new book, which it's called sort of a little bit provocatively. It says, the, the real world is, is not what you thought it was. And that's this, this last part of the book is, is devoted to that. And then I'm describing precisely how our ideas of what the world is like have changed uh, through, the, through the new sciences. Absolutely. And I think an irreversible change, you know, once you move on this way, you're not going to move back. But it does take a while for the whole science community to come on board. It's a process. <laughs> but the new, the new crisis that we live through, the pandemic, you know, well, and the yeah. climate crisis, all of these demonstrate how the incredible sensitivity of this system, which we call humanity, to its environment and how every part of the system is interconnected to every other part. So all of these things, it used to be philosophy, used to be speculative, um, you know, spirituality, yeah. are now moving into the mainstream because it, we are living a highly interconnected, uh, basically a quantum universe where all things interact with all other things. Yeah. And they jointly, jointly move. There's a, there's a dynamism in that. It's, you know, and not long ago, uh, a couple of decades ago, science, the main paradigm was that the universe is the result of random interactions. Right. You know? So a lot of things happen, one, one dancing after another, as they used to say. But there's no really, no, no purpose behind it, or no, no deeper, um, no direction. And that has fallen by the wayside. Not, not everybody realizes this, of course, but the fact is that you couldn't generate the world that we actually observe and live in, including ourselves, in the time available, 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang. You couldn't even generate the DNA of a fruit fly in that time, purely by random interactions. Randomness is, is not, no longer the case. Mm -hmm. Fred Hoyle, you know, the great uh, mathematical physicist, says that in the, the universe, the coherence comes about the universe. In this, uh, the probability of a, of a coherent universe would come about is similar to the probability that a, a, a hurricane blowing through a scrapyard would assemble a working airplane. See, <laughs> imagine a hurricane assembling a working airplane through the scrapyard. Yeah. It's not impossible because if you get a sufficient a long time, anything will happen. But in the time that we are available, even though it seems billions of years, seems a lot, it's not long enough for this incredible complexity to emerge that we have now in, in the universe, you know. So yeah. we must assume that there is something more, and that something more is in that deep dimension, is in the Akashic dimension. Mm. Yeah, all things are possible. You know, years ago, I read in the Seth books channeled material that came through in the 60s. Uh, there are only two rules to life. One, you create your own reality. And two, everything is possible or anything is possible. You know, there are no limits. <laughs> and I think that I think that science is starting to explain that now, that there are no limits. Once you well, get not everything is possible. There are what you call laws of nature. Otherwise, it will be a random universe, you see. And then random interactions couldn't generate this, this universe that we have. Einstein said that the most amazing things about the universe is that it's so coherent. 
mm-hmm. you can find coherence. You know, otherwise it would be just one thing after another, and we wouldn't know the rhyme and reason, and we wouldn't know how this has all come about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we don't have hurricanes blowing through scrapyards all the time. That's not enough. So this coherence in the world, creating coherent systems, is a basic attribute to the universe. I, you know, in, in system sciences, when I have a complex system that has some in, internal laws built into it, you talk about attractors. You know, the chaotic attractors or strange attractors or periodic attractors, etc. point attractors. So I'm saying that there is an attractor operating in the universe, which is a law, mm-hmm. and the law of all laws, you know. Mm-hmm. All things move in such a direction that there is a preferred direction which is towards creating complex systems that have a higher and higher level of coherence. This is what has been happening since the Big Bang, and it continues to happen, even though there is a lot of chaos in that system, a lot of noise, as it were, but underneath it all, there is a coherence coming about. And that's a hope, by the way, to find that coherence, to find that impulse towards organization and order that's how we can move past the, the, the tremendous challenges that we now face uh, for our co- individual as well as collective survival. Yeah. So you're saying that um, as, we, as we move through time and space, through history, that we're, we're ever evolving, that entropy is not the major force, it's more syntropy. There is this yes. syntropy evolving. And so we're always evolving to an the next better level, even when everything looks like chaos. And, sure. uh, you know, like we're in this time, this precipice, this time of great chaos at the moment with uh, stuff. And people yeah. are very pessimistic. They're like, what's going on? The world looks like it's getting worse, not better. But really there are laws that says it can only go in one direction. And that is this syntropy, like moving, getting more and more. Yes, because the universe is not a finite physical system. You see, it's constantly interacting with this deeper dimension. Uh, yeah. David Bohm talks about the explicate order being informed with the hyperism, the hyper informed by the implicate order, mm-hmm. the deeper dimension. Plato, of course, two and a half thousand years ago said the same thing, basically. You know, that there are, are forms, the ideas, are, are, are not soul, are forming what, what is happening in the world. So there is this idea of, of, it wasn't Newton's idea when I was talking about Newton's philosophy. Newton was a mystic. He was a highly spiritual person. He came across these laws and then his followers extolled the laws and made them into universal phenomena. Nothing else exists but the laws. Newton uh, talked about matter as being somehow, matter itself is not part of this universe. It's a deeper source. But uh, these followers just purified his thinking and, and uh, sterilized it, actually. And then we, made, we created a, a mechanical world, a world of, uh, like a mechanism where we can manipulate it. And that was the world built on the Newtonian, Darwinian paradigm, mm-hmm. which is now, I think, falling, gradually falling apart. You see, it doesn't work either. Yeah. Well, Dr. Laszlo, you've lived through a lot. You've seen a lot happen in the world. And you talk about, I've been watching some of your conversations on other people's podcast shows. As I say, you're still incredibly active. 
saying, you seem to say yes to, you know, anyone that's reaching out, which I really respect. I really respect that. Uh, and you talk about us being in this, this, like, do you think that this time on earth is, is unlike any other time that you've seen in your lifetime? Well, it's all, everything is always moving on, onwards. That these are tipping points, but these are not political tipping points like the Second World War was, you know, was the ag aggressive intent of a, of a great power created. It's also world, world War, World War II, and even World War I and then World War II. But now it's not a political, it's an ecological and a social and also even a spiritual crisis. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a transformation. It's a process of, of deep, deep seated transformation, which is about time, because the world we have created in the past couple of hundred years is not a sustainable world. It will, it will, it would lead to increasing crisis and tensions. So it's time that one, one gets a shock, and yeah. what is it? What's happening? Where can we go from here? Yeah. So get that information into that shock. Then you have the butterfly effects. Then you have a little butterfly moving its wings and can, can shift, can create a storm. Or I have a small group of people that Margaret Mead said can change the world. So nothing ever, else ever did. So we have the time when we are in this chaos system moving toward a resolution of some kind. Either breakdown or a resolution as a true bifurcation. But we can be moving toward a positive future if you just realize that this is a deeper impetus in the universe, is there, it's in society, it's in each human being, and that it, it, if you listen to it, it's, it's a guide, it's a, it's, a, it's a satellite, it's a GPS that can move us into the natural direction instead of this, all these artificial short-term power and wealth-hungry directions, which are destroying the overall system in favor of a small minority. You've got to learn that. You have to look at the whole system. And this is a chance, chance to, to have a learning, you have a big, a big learning experience. That's what we're having. Absolutely. So how do you think this knowledge uh, and the understanding of this knowledge, the Akashic field, the unified field, quantum theory, how do you think it will change our world? I think it will make us more, more recognize that we are connected mm -hmm. and uh, the direction we can go is to take care of the overall system. We are part of the web of life on this planet. And if we destroy the web of life, we destroy our environment and we destroy ourselves. So look at the overall system, all of humanity embedded in the, in the, in the biosphere. That's our pointer, that's you know, the, our point of reference. Whereas we were always looking at our own nation state, our own enterprise, our own city or region or, or, or nation as being the point of reference. And we are optimizing that, we are trying to get the maximum out of that, maximum power over the others. Competing with a singular, single goal in mind, a single system in mind. That has to change, getting a more, more holistic, more quantum, more uh, integral view, which is coming about in medicine, the new medicine, you know, is a moving alternative medicine, is moving in that direction. New lifestyles, instinctively, intuitively. 
everything is already moving in that direction, just to keep our eyes open and join, join the positive trends. I just wanted to ask you, you know, Deepak was saying that as he gets older, he feels like he feels more, even more passionate to get his work out there before he leaves this world. And I feel like you're doing the same thing. You're feeling you're even more passionate about getting your work out there before you leave this world too. Is that how you're feeling? Well, I'm trying to get as much out as soon as possible <laughs> in general. I think it's, it's, it's we are at the critical point, at the tipping point, and all this can provide that uh, critical push that the cyberneticians talk about, the critical, critical kick, and a crucial kick they talk about, which can change the whole system, you see. And it's possible now with, with ideas, you can change the system because now there is an openness to something new. We know it's no good to continue the way we have been. So I'm trying to get things out as well. Yes, you're right in that. And I wanted to ask you one more question before you go. What do you see happening in our future? Do you, have you thought about what a future can look like? Like, have you thought about yes. a society? Do you want to just give us a little glimpse of what you see? Well, that's also uh, the last part of the new little book that I'm writing. I'll talk about 2050 mm -hmm. as a point of reference. Suppose optimistically that we have upshifted our, our, our ideas and our, our organization. 2050 is a more holistic world. Then there's a great deal of detail that we can say about social, political organization, about the ecological relationships, about the way we handle our, our own individual selves within the family and with each other and, and within communities. I can't really say that in, in so many words in detail, but it's a more holistic, more systemic, more sustainable world. We can create it. Seems like utopia now, but the alternative to that is breakdown. And I do believe that instead of breakdown, we will be breaking through because this impetus, this force of evolution is in us, is with, is with us, and we can go with it. So I have this deep, deep down, deep seated optimism, but it's not just a passive optimism, sit back and everything will work out, but it's an active optimism, what I call a possibilism. We have a possibility, we have to act on it. That's the task. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today on Accentuate the Positive uh, Media. And thank you for being a part of the High Self Expo. I look forward to hearing your presentation during the expo. Uh, you're a part of the European section of the expo. I'm co-hosting the Australasian section of the expo. And I think Tanya and Rui will be your host for the European part. And uh, yeah, your, your books sound fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. And thank you for all the work that you've done in this world. And yeah, can't thank you enough. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for taking up these ideas and, and disseminating them. It's in the common interest. It's in our joint best interest. So thank you again and all the best. And all see the best. you again. Bye. Short and sweet, that one. <laughs> I was warned that Dr. Laszlo doesn't talk for a long time. He does tend to stretch himself and put himself on many different podcast shows. And uh, I felt a little inadequate talking to him, actually. Um, you know, I'm kind of like my, uh, yeah, my scientific prowess is, um, yeah, I didn't feel so adequate. He's, you know, he's just been awarded. You should see his bio. I didn't read out half of it, not even, not even a third of it.
with all the awards that he has had, but I don't know why I felt inadequate, but um, yeah, a lifetime of thinking about this stuff. I could have probed him a bit further, but uh, yeah, he's, you know, hitting 90. And um, I really felt like he's trying to get as much out there, philosophy books, information out there. And Deepak, he has said the same thing that he wants to, um, the older he gets, the more he feels like he needs to, to get all these these ideas out of his head and into into literature and on podcast shows and stuff like that but uh fascinating to talk to dr laszlo what a legend an absolute legend honestly he's got a great ted talk talking about all this stuff i was watching it today uh, it's about eight years old now if you go in, on to youtube and put in dr laszlo you will see his ted talk there um, what was he saying on the TED Talk? I can't remember. Oh, I was researching him today and, um, yeah, my head is full of information. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it there. This is one of the shortest shows I've ever done, <laughs> but it's late here because he uh, it's like the middle of the morning for him in Italy and uh, it's night here in Australia. So it's not the usual time I do the shows. But anyway, the lighting's looking good, isn't it? <laughs> I managed to get the lighting happening in the, in the night. Thanks again for listening and watching and I hope you tune in to the High Self Expo. We're streaming live for 24 hours. It is going to be live on my um, YouTube channel. It'll be on the High Self Expo YouTube channel as well. But I think uh, Zane's going to stream it live on my YouTube channel too. So it'll be going for 24 hours on my YouTube channel uh, and um, Facebook pages, the High Self Expo Facebook pages. The thing about the platform that we're using is that wherever you comment, Wherever you're watching it on Facebook or YouTube, um, we see all the comments that come in. It sort of it collects all the comments into one place. Technology. Don't you love it when it does that? It gives us an opportunity to come together and, yeah, discuss this stuff. Technology has its purpose. So tune in, ask some questions, leave your comments, and uh, 36 amazing speakers from around the world. This is the last conversation I'm having before we go live this weekend. Uh, and then I'm talking to people that aren't speakers of the High Self Expo. After this, I, I, I will probably speak to more of the speakers later on down the track because I didn't get around to speaking to all 36. But I did speak to everyone that was in the Australasian eight-hour period, uh, whether I spoke to them recently or I've had them on the show previously. And um, as I said, it was just fascinating to speak to Dr. Laszlo. Fascinating. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Thanks again for listening and watching and uh, yeah, sign up if you want to the Inner Sanctum if you want to continue these conversations on a weekly basis with myself and our little tribe. It's only a small group of people that discuss these things and get out there and make stuff happen. And uh, yes, remember to get the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>